0: So, Lord God, we ask that it be your word that be heard here this evening. May it be your voice and the words that you desire that we take home that will ring out. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine hearing these words from Mark that Rich just read for us while fearing for your life. In fact, Mark wrote to people in just that situation in the first century. Mark's word to them and his word to us is to hold on to the deeper truth that runs behind the daily events and circumstances of our lives. If we base our faith primarily on the things that we see or on the things that happen to us, we can find ourselves in a precarious place when things go wrong. And it is when we are in this place, as we so often are, that Mark has a word for us. And Mark's word telescopes down to this. Repent. Turn around. Change your perspective. And believe in the good news. A number of years ago, I knew a woman whose perspective amazed me. Her name was Viola. Viola had always found new ways to serve Christ, taking advantage of her freedom as a single person. One day, however, she discovered a new and most challenging calling. Viola was diagnosed with a disorder that was essentially the failure of her, of her bone marrow. She underwent appropriate care and tried to sign on for some experimental treatment, but was unable to qualify. She continued to show up at church as much as she could and even put in some volunteer hours. I was concerned that she did not fully understand the seriousness of her condition, which was, without that medical trial, essentially untreatable but I knew better than to be the one to uh, help her to understand that, so I just did my best to be her friend and to listen when she came to me with her latest update. One day when she was feeling the effects of her condition more acutely than she had before, she came to talk to me. She looked at me square in the eye and she said, you know, I understand what's happening to me but I want to show people that I believe in the truth of the gospel and that I'm not afraid to die. It's not that Viola had no fear, but she trusted that Jesus was greater than her fear. My friend Viola lived out the message that Mark was trying to communicate to his audience in this passage from his gospel. Do not abandon your faith in Christ in the midst of your trials, when even your very life might be threatened. Don't let your fear and your doubt take over. Believe. In the words of Jesus, repent and believe in the good news. As hard as that message can sometimes be, when we are trying for all we are worth to hang on to the world, as we want it to be, when we're trying to make sense of why hard things are happening, or even just why our lives have turned out the way that they have. This passage calls us, nevertheless, to repent, let go of all of those mental gymnastics, and believe the good news of the kingdom of God. Mark addressed this gospel to a community that was undergoing severe trial in Rome. At the time in which Mark wrote, Nero was emperor. One Roman historian has a lot to say to us about what it was like for the church in those days. Followers of Christ were generally despised because their lives were so countercultural. A ravaging fire in Rome entirely decimated nearly one quarter of that city, another half was effectively destroyed leaving just a few buildings standing here and there. Just over one-fourth of that city was left untouched. The destructive proportion ranks alongside some of the heartbreaking disasters that we have witnessed in recent years, tsunamis, earthquakes, hurricanes. However, after that fire, Nero capitalized on the Christian social position, blamed them for the tragedy, and launched a severe persecution. Terrible atrocities were committed against Christians, atrocities so extreme that even society at large began to take pity on this part of the population that had been held in such low esteem. As a part of the persecution both Peter and Paul were executed. Mark, the Gospel writer, had ties to both Peter and Paul, ties that went way back. Peter had showed up at Mark's mother's house where the new and the frightened church had been meeting when Peter was released from prison in Jerusalem. Do you remember that? In Acts chapter 12. He is the same Mark who traveled some with Paul and with Barnabas, the same Mark who was with Paul when he wrote to Timothy from prison in Rome. Somewhere along the line, Mark had come into Peter's service. In the midst of adversity and the loss of two significant mentors, Mark wrote directly to a community struggling with doubt because of the suffering and the persecution that they all faced. They were asking questions like, where is Jesus now? Is everything lost? How can we have hope when we are surrounded with despair? How can God be real if this is happening to me, to my friends, and my family? Maybe these questions have a familiar ring. Maybe you ask them as well. Mark's answer then and his word to us today is, simple and straightforward repent and believe in the good news this word is a reminder of whom it is we serve and in whom we have put our trust now mark is not saying your suffering is your own fault you just need to repent of the sin that landed you there no nor is he saying that your pain is unimportant The Greek word for repent is metanoia, which means to regret what has gone before and to have a change of heart. Certainly the call to repent in general invites us to turn from sin, which John the Baptist does in this passage. But Mark's broader call is an invitation to see things with new eyes and to live our lives accordingly. Mark paints a portrait in these 15 verses to remind the Christian community, to remind us, in no uncertain terms, that Jesus Christ reigns victorious. Jesus' power vastly exceeds the power of any other authority, even that of Nero. Trials and suffering and grief are not a sign that God is punishing us, has abandoned us, or that he doesn't exist or care. The road of discipleship can be a difficult one. Grieve the hard things that happen along the way, but don't let your grief draw you down the road of disbelief. Don't even go there. Turn, repent, refresh your understanding, believe. Mark's first verse is like a trumpet call. In this opening salvo, he gives it everything he's got. We miss the hard-hitting force of his statement in English and in our 21st century culture, but to the readers and the hearers of the first century, each phrase would have sounded forth loudly, unmistakably announcing the arrival of royalty and reminding the believers in Rome that Jesus Is on the throne the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God that single line contains only four phrases each of which in Greek resonates with royalty stringing these phrases together adds to the effect if you miss the first illusion there's the second one if you miss the second one there's the third one and so on Mark is saying, folks, here it is. This is the point. Jesus reigns. Beginning in Greek, the word beginning, does mean beginning, but it also literally means the head of something, the chief, the authority, or the magistrate. For example, in Isaiah 9-6, in that famous passage, which states that the government shall be upon his shoulders, the Greek text uses this word, arche, for government. So here in Mark, yes, we're talking about the beginning of something, but also about an exercise of authority and power. This book, this writing, is going to be about the beginning of someone's powerful reign good news comes next. It's a phrase that in the Roman context was used to announce the advent of a ruler or of a victory on the battlefield. It rings with connotations of power and validation of superiority in battle. When Christians were being besieged by the powers of Rome, the idea that there might be a victory in Christ was most likely mind-boggling. Christians were being slaughtered for sport and vindication by Nero. Victory? Mark is saying, yes, believe in the good news. The third phrase, Jesus Christ, punctuates that notion of victory with an exclamation point by reminding hearers that this Jesus is the promised Savior the anointed one promised throughout Jewish scripture, our Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and his story has not ended with his death because he rose from the dead. It has not ended with Peter's death or with Paul's. It has not ended with the death of your friends or your family and it will not end with your own demise the story of Jesus Christ continues on earth even after we are gone and his good news if you believe it will carry you straight to an eternity in his presence by believing in the Savior you too can share in that resurrection power here too is victory believe in the good news and finally we have the expression son of God This phrase is lifted straight out of the Roman context of emperor worship. Many of the Caesars, the emperors, beginning with Caesar Augustus, were hailed as sons of God. Mark's message, this job has been filled, not by the emperor, especially not by Nero, but by Jesus, our Lord. One line, four claims that would translate to first century listeners this way This is about the ongoing reign and the victory of the Savior, the Anointed One, the King of Kings, greater even than Nero. Mark is telling the Roman Christians don't let go of that truth. Take heart, believe, and repent of the debilitating fear and the blinding doubt that has seized you. I'm sure you can anticipate the objections. Perhaps they're creeping up into your own heart as well. How can we believe in victory when things look so desolate? Mark reminds his community that this good news first sprang up, was confirmed, and was tested in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I have spent what feels like more than my fair share of time there. It's not a place I like very well. It's usually a place that I and probably all of us try desperately to leave and often a place we think we have stumbled into as a consequence of some miscalculation or sin. But Mark makes three things about wilderness clear. First, Being in the wilderness is not necessarily a sign that God has somehow left us or that we have wandered away from him. The Spirit led, even drove Jesus into the wilderness, we read in verse 12. And certainly not to punish him, no. God has just said how pleased he is with Jesus in verse 11. Second, it is also not a place of abandonment. There were angels waiting on him there in verse 13. The word for waiting on or ministering here is the root word for the word we use when we say the word deacon. We may wonder if angels minister to us in wilderness times, but I can tell you from personal experience that a deacon is only a phone call away. We don't have to be alone in suffering or hardship. If you are not in the wilderness, then maybe you can be one who ministers to those who are. Third, by placing the account of John's arrest here, both in the wilderness and in verse 14, Mark hints at the tragedies to come. The martyrdom, the death of both John and Jesus. If you follow in their paths, times of wilderness with difficulties and even persecutions are to be expected. Indeed, Mark makes this point more forcefully later in his gospel in chapter 8 when he quotes Jesus as saying, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Finally, Mark's portrait of Jesus' baptism reminds us that the Holy Spirit is loose in the world. Because of that truth, we are never really alone. At Jesus' baptism, the sky was torn in two as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all showed up on the scene. Where? In the wilderness. Jesus rises up out of his baptismal waters in verse 10, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and God speaks, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. When we go through our baptismal waters, we die to our old selves, and we are raised up to new life with Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit, This same spirit that descended upon Jesus and who is Jesus in our midst. And that makes the gospel of Jesus Christ a continuing saga. Mark's gospel never entirely resolves. It doesn't have anything that says the end. The text ends with an empty tomb. Jesus is alive and his spirit empowers us comforts us and leads us even in trials. Mark reminds us in verse 8 that while John baptizes with water it is Jesus himself who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We are not on our own. Repent of the fear that God has left you and believe in the good news. A number of years ago my sister was diagnosed with an aggressive form of leukemia. I'm glad to say she's doing well now, over a decade later. However, in those days, we had no assurance that she would survive. It was remarkable to me, as I walked with her and with my brother-in-law, that God didn't just cut that part of our journey out in response to our prayers. But he did show up, and he journeyed alongside of us, giving us evidence of his presence along the way. One particular way he showed up was to give us each strength for the day when we thought we had none. During that year of her treatment, there were days when I would wake up to the sound of the radio. And as I became more alert and would begin to kind of think through my day, I would remember that dreaded word, leukemia. And all I could do was lie there. Each morning, day after day, I would wait listening Listening usually and thankfully not too long until some praise song came on the radio that would remind me of Jesus ongoing presence and care and Then and only then could I be up and get on with my day The song that was the most encouraging had lyrics that sound triumphant when I call on Jesus all things are possible for me in those days all things being possible meant that I could get up out of bed and get on with my day. I could do this because I was reminded yet again that despite this, ter- this frightening turn of events, Jesus Christ was with me. I was not alone and that was enough for today. Those minutes of dread as I recalled my sister's condition, and those moments of waiting as I longed to hear something that would remind me of the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. Those were my moments of repentance as I struggled to keep my perspective and to believe the good news when our world had been turned upside down. What has happened in your world to disappoint, to shatter, to challenge, or to cause pain? Maybe you turn that situation against yourself to show how bad you are or what a victim you you can be. Perhaps you turn the situation against God to show him just how little he really cares for you. Or maybe, maybe you turn it against your primary community to show just how far short they are falling and how much they are failing you. If so, I would invite you to be the one to do the turning. Turn. Repent from all that keeps you from the glorious truth. Repent from all that keeps you from resting in your Savior's care grieve the presence of fear pain and death but don't let them have the last word in your life receive anew the truth that jesus our risen and victorious lord is always with us even as we journey through hardship and death and believe in the good news today ash wednesday We remember that we are formed from dust, and to dust we will return. But our Lord God intervened to give us life in this world and in the next, making us his children. We still must navigate through this sin-filled world, and we are bumped and bruised and worse as we travel along the way. But we don't have to do it alone The kingdom of God has come near in Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the good news.